ever heard of Hoylton, Illinois? Anyone? No one. No one's ever heard of Hoylton, Illinois. Hoylton, Illinois is burned. The memory of that town is burned in my in in my psyche. I had probably the the worst day of my life up to that point, and and the point was I was about ten years old. But the worst day of my life up to that point, and and probably if I think back of it back on it as far as athletically, that had to be the worst day of my entire life, even to this this point. Hoylton, Illinois. Uh, we were playing a baseball game there, and. And, and I got up to bat the, the first inning. I, I was the, the second or third batter in the lineup. I got up to bat and, and I was pretty confident. I wasn't a bad ball player. I was up, you know, like I said, I was batting second, third. I was, I was pretty good. And I got up and the first pitch came in and their pitcher wasn't all that great. It's not like he was something special. Not like he was throwing BBs, but, but I got up and the first pitch came in and, and, and I swung and missed. Whiff. Second pitch came in and whiff. The third pitch came in and whiff. No big deal. Okay, I'd struck out before. I hated it. I, I don't like striking out, but I'd done it before, but it's not, not, not that big a deal. Came around a couple of days later. I came back again and up to bat and I was ready to go this time. And first pitch came in and whiff. And the second pitch came in and whiff. And the third pitch came in and whiff. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm starting to get just a little bit nervous at this point. Just a little bit. A little bit anxious, but, but when I came up the third time, I still was confident I was going to do something. So the first pitch came in and it was whiff. The second pitch came in and it was, say with me. No, actually I fouled that one off. Uh, but the third pitch came in and whiff. We, we came into the last inning. The, we played seven innings, came in the seventh inning of the game. Uh, I was due up fourth in the seventh inning. We were down by just one run. And I'll be honest with you, I was praying that the first three guys would get out. Man, let's go. I don't care if we win or lose. I just do not want to have to bat again. And I'll be doggone if my best friend Randy didn't get a base hit. And so with two outs, Randy's standing on second base, and my time at bat comes up. And and on the way to the batter's box, my dad, who was the coach of the team, was coaching third base. I hadn't seen it all game long, but he was coaching third base, and 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 he motioned for me, and he stepped down and met me about halfway there, and he put his arms around me, and I'll never forget the words of encouragement that he that he said to me, the words of, of encouragement that he spoke in me. He said, Tim, you can do it. You can do it. And I stepped in that batter's box with a renewed sense of of confidence, the the, the defeatist attitude that I that I had before I went up there was now gone. I I had a new faith in my talent, a new focus in what I'd been doing my whole life was was hitting baseball. So so I I dug in and I adjusted my helmet. And I turned my head to the side and spit out some bubble gum juice and and I looked out at the pitcher and and, and kind of nodded like bring your best shot at me because now I knew I knew and he wound up and and threw the pitch. And it was whiff, whiff, whiff. <laughs> have you been there before? Not necessarily just athletically, but in life. Have you been there before where it seems like all you're doing is striking out over and over and over again? Well, if you have, then Paul has, Paul has a word of encouragement for you. If, uh, if Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, where Paul says that we need to have this attitude in us, which is the same 
It's in Christ Jesus. We have Jesus' attitude. If, if that, to this point, as we've talked about, is, is the most important verse in, in uh, Philippians, the, the book of Philippians, then the verse we're going to look at this morning, Philippians 4.13, or at least key on this morning, Philippians 4.13, is probably the second most important verse in the book. And I would say probably the most popular, the most well-known, most widely known verse in all the book of Philippians. Uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, what I'm going to encourage you to do is open right now to Philippians chapter 4. If you have it on your phone, uh, bring up Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. But I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bibles open because we're, we're actually going to do, uh, uh, a walk through the book. We're finishing up the series today and we're going to kind of do a review on the book this morning and apply it to what Paul says in verse 13. A lot of you know this verse. I was somewhere yesterday, uh, and, uh, and they had this verse on a, a little plaque up on their wall, and uh, I've seen it many times in many places. But verse 13 says this, very simply, I can do everything through him, or some versions say through Christ, that's who it's referring to. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. If only my dad had had called me down to the third base coach's box, coach's box put his arms around me, and quoted for me Philippians 4.13, Tim, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. If only he had said those words, I wouldn't have struck out. I actually, I would have. <laughs> that would have been very encouraging. That would have been great. It would been a great story. But, but the, the truth is, if this verse is maybe the second most important verse in the book, and this verse is probably the most widely known verse in this book, let me just toss this out. I don't want to throw a wet blanket really on, on, on you very much on this, but, but it's probably the most misquoted verse in the whole book of Philippians, if not one of the most misquoted verses uh, in in all of the Bible, I see people. I think Tim Tebow used to wear the the eye black, and it said uh, had either four thirteen or Philippians fourteen. I four thirteen. I've seen people with it on their their cleats. Lots of professional athletes, and and that's cool. And I tell you what, if you want to claim Philippians chapter four thirteen for things in your life, well, th- that's good. But but the reality is, when we look at this verse in context, it really has nothing to do with our personal success. It has nothing to do with us succeeding on the, the, the athletic field or in the classroom or in the boardroom or in life, but instead us succeeding in following what Jesus wants us to do. Let me point out the context this morning, and, and that's what we're going to look at. So look, go back just a couple verses uh, in front of this, verses 11 and 12. And this is the immediate context. This is what Paul is talking about when he gives this iconic verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Look at verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ in who gives me strength. Now notice this context. Paul is saying, whether I'm hitting a home run or whether I'm striking out, whether life is good or life is full of struggles, whether, whether I'm nailing it or I feel like I'm getting nailed, God can give me strength to do all things to, to follow uh, up in him. So the concept that Paul is talking here in this verse has everything to do with us holding on to our faith, uh, winning at believing in, trusting in, and living for Christ. 
not necessarily being being successful in life. The second context of this verse, and it's really what we're going to look at this morning, is what we've been talking about for several weeks now. The second context of Paul saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, is the context of the whole book. What Paul has been telling us from chapter 1 all the way here to the end of this end of this book in chapter chapter 4, Paul has been telling us about living for Jesus, and it's in that context that he's saying that, hey, no matter what you're facing, no matter what the challenge is, you can do everything through Christ. So, so when you step into the batter's box, not of life, but of your spiritual journey, and, and, and let's be honest, the batter's box where we sometimes strike out, I, I want you to hear the words of Paul. I want you to envision Paul putting his arm around you and whispering in your ear, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Uh, if you have your Bibles, flip over a little bit earlier in the book or back to the first chapter in chapter 1, and we're going to look at a couple things. Do we struggle sometimes? Do you struggle with joy? We're going to look at some of the things that Paul talks about here in the book as we look at this and, and get an idea of what he's talking about. Do you struggle with joy? One of the themes of the book of Philippians, and I'll be honest, over the last several weeks I've not really highlighted this. I probably should have, but, but Paul talks in this in this book, uh, uses the word joy or rejoice, be thankful probably 15, 16, 17 times. It's a book that is filled with this concept, this idea of joy. And if anyone should have ever felt like he was messing up, if anyone should have ever felt like that his life should not have had joy, if it, it, it should have been Paul. Paul could have saw himself as being in a slump. Number one, we pointed this out early on, when Paul wrote this book, he wasn't he wasn't living out in the suburbs. He wasn't in a nice apartment downtown. He was in a prison cell. He was stuck in prison. Strike one. He was un- insecure about his future. He had no idea what was going to happen. He might live. He might die. He might be released, which actually turned out to be what happened before he was later martyred for Christ. He might be released or he might fall he might fall to martyrdom at the hands of Caesar. He had no idea what was going to happen. That's why he said for me to live in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ, to die as game. Paul had no idea what his future held. Well, that's strike two. And, and, and on top of that, we just pointed this out a few weeks ago, Paul was facing uh, and, and had written the letter in part because the church was struggling. There were some Judaizers that had come into the church, and they were they were trying to undermine Paul and undermine what his authority and undermined his teaching and, and, and lead the church astray. And that was a struggle for him. Strike three. So if anyone had a reason to not have joy, it was Paul. But know what he says, chapter three or chapter one, starting with verse three. He says this. We talked about this several weeks ago. I thank my God. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the, the day uh, of Christ Jesus. Wow. Paul stays, uh, talks about joy. I, I wonder how I would have started this letter out had it been me. Quite honestly, I think I would have started the letter out, and, and, and instead of saying, I thank God, I think I might have started out with, Hey guys, I'm struggling with God. I'm doubting God right now. Instead of saying in all my prayers, I might have said, you know what? I don't think God is even hearing my prayers. Instead of saying I pray with joy, I might have said, man, I am discouraged and depressed and defeated. But Paul doesn't. Paul talks about joy. Why? 
Paul had joy in his heart, a joy that encouraged him, even though his circumstance, even though his circumstances didn't support that or point that out. Why? In part, we see an insight in verse five. Let me just touch verse five again. He says this, because of your partnership in the gospel. Now, Paul's joy, the root of his joy came from the Lord. He would agree with Nehemiah. Uh, who says in chapter 8 of, of his book, Nehemiah, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul had already written in Galatians that joy was one of the fruit of the, of, of having the Holy Spirit in your life. So, so his, his joy came from the Lord uh, initially. That's, that was the root of his joy. But Paul also points out that he's able to have joy in his life because of his partnership. In essence, what Paul was saying, I am, I am not alone. I, I could be discouraged, I could, I could be depressed, but I'm not alone because you are my partner. If you're struggling, struggling with joy this morning, one of the best ways to find it is to plug in. It's to plug in to the church and find that God wants to give joy through his people. Over in the book of First Kings, if you want to hold Philippians open and jump over there, I, I want to just touch on, on, on a quick story about Elijah. You probably are familiar with the story. Elijah had just won a great victory for the Lord, had prayed, and, and God had sent him a, a victory that, that, that consumed the, the, the altar that he had put before the Lord. And, and then Elijah got discouraged. The, uh, Jezebel had spoken a, a word against him, and, and Elijah was freaked out. And in First Kings chapter 19, Starting with verse 3, it says this, Elijah was afraid. Now, he just won a great victory, but it says he was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey in the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Man, he had gone from victory to a place where he was ready to die. And then in verse 10, he says, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death and the, and, and the, by the sword. And I am the only one left. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. I'm the only person. Sometimes our joy is robbed when we think we're the only one, the only one left. But notice what God tells him. In verse 18, God says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Paul, or um, Elijah was encouraged by God with this simple thought, You're not alone. Man, he's struggling. He's, he's having a hard time, and God says, You're not alone. Church, let me remind you that one of the ways that we can infuse joy back into our life, because that's what God did with Elijah here. One of the ways we can infuse joy back into our life is to plug in to other believers. In fact, church, I want you to know this, and we'll point one verse and then move on. I want you to know that you have the ability to be a joy giver as well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. If you're struggling with joy, well, Paul says, I can do all things. I can do all things. You're not alone. Are you struggling with worthiness? Do, do you sometimes say, or, or are you here today and you say, well, I'm not worthy. My, my past is riddled with sin. My present is, is a mess, and my future isn't looking too hopeful. I just don't measure up. Well, notice what Paul says in, 
in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He says this, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner, manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul, by, by telling us to, encouraging us to, to live worthy, is basically saying that we can live worthy. Paul is wrapping his arm around us and saying, you can do all things. You can live a life worthy. And in essence, what he's saying is, I am good enough. See, we're good enough not because of what we've done, not because of what we're doing, not because of what we might do. We're not good enough because of our holiness, our righteousness, or our good deeds. We're good enough because God said we're good enough. See, God knew you before you were ever even born. And, and he knew the capabilities you had to love, and he also knew your capability for evil. He knew what you were going to do uh, to seek him, and he also knew that sometimes you were going to shake your fist at him, and yet he loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. So whether, whether you're here today and you have the least sin, whether you're here today and you are the most righteous person in all of this church, and, and we could take, we're not going to do this, but we could take uh, some nominations on who the most righteous person is. Let me just throw out, t- uh, that's not me, it's, it's someone else. But, but if we did that, uh, I don't know who it would be. Who would be the most righteous person? Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, it's probably me, then let me point out you're not the most righteous person if you think that's you. So, uh, uh, but, but if we thought that way and had that thought in mind, I'm the, there's someone here that's the most righteous, but you know what? There's someone here this morning that's probably thinking the opposite of that. There's someone here this morning that's thinking, you know what? You know what? I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner here. If we were to, if we were to line up and, and the, 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 the most holy person at the front of the line, the worst person at the back line, there's some of you thinking, you know what? I'd be at the back line. Some of you are even thinking, you know what? I wouldn't even, I don't even deserve, I'm not even worthy enough to be at the back of the line. That's how bad I am. So if you're struggling with worthiness, Paul, Paul saunders up beside you and says, you can do all things. You know what? You can live worthy. You are good enough because God chose to make you good enough. Ed McManus uh, tells a story of going to visit a woman who was diagnosed with AIDS. In fact, she was in her last days. Uh, a friend of hers had, had, had asked McManus to go visit her. She was, she was really struggling and wanted to find some comfort and, and thought maybe if a minister went and visited with her, it would make a difference. So McManus showed up at her house in Los Angeles and, and sat beside her bed and began to, to, to speak to her and try to offer some encouragement and to read some scripture to her. And, and it really, it, it, it didn't work. I mean, she was just, she was just beside herself, and she ended up saying, you know what, you, you might as well leave because I'm a lost cause. I've ruined my life, I've ruined other people's lives, and all I have for my future is painful hell. There's no hope for me. And McManus was sitting there beside the bed trying to think of what he could say to her, and he glanced over on her dresser, and on the dresser was a picture of, of a little girl, maybe eight or nine years old, uh, in a pretty dress and with a smile on her face, and so, so he just pointed over to the picture on the dresser, and he said, well, well, who's that? And the lady lifted her head and looked over and said, well, that's my daughter. That's probably the only beautiful thing in my life. And the man said, well, would you help her if she were in trouble or made a mistake? Well, 
woman said, well, yeah, I'd help her. McManus went on and said, well, would you forgive her? Would you still love her? Would you still accept her? And, and the lady said, well, of course I would. That's my daughter. I'd do anything for her. And then she got just a little bit of dignity. She said, well, well, why are you asking me that? Of course I would. McManus thought for a while, and then he said, said to the lady, well, I asked you that for this very reason. Do you realize that God has a picture of you on his dresser? So maybe you're, you're here this morning, and you're, you're struggling with worthiness. Uh, you're struggling with worthiness. Oh, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Maybe you're struggling with humility. We spent a while back two weeks addressing this idea of who is number one, really kind of three weeks talking about that. And we pointed out that it's important for us to get this one right so that, so that we can better understand the most important verse in this, in this book, chapter two, verse five, uh, that, that we're going to have the attitude of, of Christ. So Paul puts his arm around us and says, I can, uh, tells us you can do all things. Look, if you have your Bibles in chapter two, verses three and four, Notice what he says there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests to others. Are you struggling with humility? Are you struggling with getting number one right? Then understand that I am second. I, I'm not number one. This book is full of teaching that for the, the, the Christian uh, the Gentile Christian in Philippi would have struggled with. They, this would have been a radical idea for them to consider other people better than yourself. Their, their whole worldview had been wrapped up in you are number one, what you think and what you want is number one. And now Paul's telling them that they're second. For them, that would have been a radical idea. And, and, and maybe for us, it's not quite so radical. Maybe it's a little bit more palatable for us, but in practice, it's still radical. Putting, other people first just doesn't make sense. Just doesn't make sense until we see the next point. Let me just buzz quickly on to the next point. Do you struggle with identity? See, if you're struggling with putting others first and putting yourself second, maybe it's because you're struggling with who you're supposed to be. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. See, verse Verse, verse 5 in chapter 2 says this, I am like him. Imagine Paul coming beside you and whispering, you can do all things. You can do all things. And, and our response is, <laughs> this time we look at him and we, we say, Paul, are you serious? You're saying that I can be like him, that I can love like him, I can have his compassion, I can have his gentleness, I can have his for." For forgiveness, you're saying that I can be like him. Now I'm uh, I'm going out on a limb here. I, I may get myself in trouble. Rita, uh, listen closely, and if I start to mess up, you you put a stop to it. You'll. <laughs> she says, "Will you listen?" <laughs> of course, I won't. Uh, so so I'm going to empower you guys. If you think I'm about to get too far out on the limb, you guys say something. Stand behind her because I don't. I don't want to get messed up. So what, what, I'm going to talk about babies here. So so now you know why I, I need you to step in and help me if I start to make uh, make a mistake. So um, uh, and and by the way, let me just toss this out. Every baby is beautiful. Babies are beautiful. Okay, never seen one that's not. Uh, 
Babies are beautiful. Do you know nothing that happens when, when people, because they look down, uh, and this is the one that got me in trouble. You, you, you pull back the blanket and you say, oh, so beautiful. And you know the second thing that's usually said, and more times than not, it's, it's our wives or, or women that say this. I'm, I don't mean sex, be sexist on this, but usually it's more women that say this than guys. You know the second thing they say after, oh, what a beautiful baby is, he looks just like. Don't, don't you do that? I, I know you do it because I heard you do it all the time. He looks just like his dad. He looks just like his mom. And I'm sitting there looking like, really? Now, I'm, I'm thinking, and you know what I'm thinking, don't you? I'm thinking, wow, what a beautiful baby. But I'm thinking, they look like a baby. They, I don't see mom. I don't see dad in there. They don't look like me. Now, now the one exception to that has been with, with champ babies in, in my family. Um, in my family, you know what we normally do? We, we look at new babies, and the first thing we look at is their ears. And if they've got big ears, they're like, whoa, he's a champ. He looks like a champ, doesn't he? Because dad gave me big ears, and my sisters and brother, and, and, uh, so, and, and a lot of my nieces and nephews. So, so yeah, they do look just like their grandpa champ. You know, he's got the big ears. But I look at him, and, man, I just don't see it. You, usually they have to be three, four years old before I start to think, oh, yeah, they do look like dad or they do look like mom. But you know, amazing thing is if you take, if you take a baby picture, if you take a baby picture of the mom or a baby picture of the dad and you hold it up against that baby, man, that's when I see it. Now, sometimes the baby girl looks like the dad and the baby boy looks like the mom, but, but boy, you see the baby pictures and they, they look just alike. Church, you know what Paul has called us to? You know what Jesus is calling us to? He's calling us to look just like Jesus. Now, I know that's tough, and it's not going to be easy. And sometimes we're going to swing it. Well, no, oftentimes we're going to swing and miss. But Paul says we can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Last two points, and we'll we'll just buzz through these two. Do you struggle with remembering? We we talked about this a little bit last week, um, and and the week before in chapter three of Philippians. So let's look at a couple verses, and, and these were two different sermons, but but kind of talked about the same idea. Chapter three, verse seven. Paul says, "Whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord." And then down in chapter. 3 verses 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, pressing on to the price that I've been called to. Paul, Paul reminds us that we are to forget our past victories as well as our past failures. And he says there, are you struggling with remembering? He says, I am new. We are new in Christ. And he comes along us, beside us, and says, I can do all things. And then finally, we'll finish with this thought. Paul says, do you struggle with fear? Do you struggle with fear? These verses seem to point to to a couple ideas in chapter 4. So if you have chapter 4, let me read just a couple verses for you. Verses six, uh, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, now couple that, couple that, if you will, with verse 11 and 12. I'm not saying that this is because I'm in need. I, for what I've learned, to, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned to be content. So Paul comes along beside us. No matter what we've been going through, no matter what our life experience is, and says, you can do all things. It doesn't make a difference what challenge you may be facing or the heartache you may be enduring or the loss you may be experiencing or the failures that you're regretting or the uncertainty that you're living under or the fear that is enveloping you or the sin that is crippling you. Paul's word of encouragement are there to remind us that I am here. I am here. The ride home from Hoylton, Illinois, to my hometown of Woodlawn was only about 25 minutes, but seemed like it took an hour and a half. I sat in the back seat beside my brother and a couple of my sisters, and I buried my my face in my, my ball glove. In part, I did that so that my dad, through the rearview mirror, wouldn't see me crying in the back seat, wouldn't see the tears coming down my face, the tears of, of embarrassment, the tears of discouragement, the tears of failure. When we arrived home, I bolted out of the car, went to my room, threw myself on the bed, and the tears continued to flow. I don't know, it's about 20, 25 minutes later, I hear a tap on the door, my dad opens the door and steps in, and in his hand, he's got his ball glove and my bat and a bag full of baseballs. And, and, and he asked, but I knew my dad well enough to know it really wasn't asking. He was telling. He said, let's go hit some. I, I thought this. I didn't say it out loud, but what I thought was, well, what you mean, dad? Let's, let's go outside so I can swing and miss some more. But I followed him out in the backyard and I took my spot where we had a little plate in the backyard and he began to pitch and, and I began to swing and miss. And he didn't say a word. He just kept throwing ball after ball after ball until finally, finally I hit one. And then I hit two. And then I hit three. And then every pitch, no matter where he was throwing it, low, high, inside, outside, fast, slow, every pitch I was hitting like I knew that I could, like I knew that I should have been able to do. And really what my dad, it was without words, but what my dad had been saying to me when he, walked to my door with the bat and the glove and the ball was he's walking beside me and saying Tim you can do all things let's just work at it and Paul says here as he ends this book this word of encouragement that it really doesn't apply to baseball sorry it doesn't apply to your job doesn't really apply to your school but it applies to your walk with him no matter where you are no matter what you might be struggling with He says, you can do all things, all things through him. Would you bow with me? Father, we're here this morning and we swing and miss a lot. We think we have it figured out and then we swing and miss. We we have our life planned out and then we swing and miss. We, We want to serve you and seek you and then we swing and miss. Father, thank you. 
that you love us even though we even though we're failures sometimes and even though we strike out father i thank you for the words of encouragement that that we can do everything we can win that battle against all the things that stand against us all the fears all the discouragements all the failures all the disappointments father you can give us that victory and it's through jesus father if you're if your word is true this morning, I, I pray that it speaks to the heart of that person here this morning that needs to know that they can do it through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?